0: Hello, I'm James Davis. And I'm James Saunders. And on this episode of Brief Tapes, we are looking at what can be one of the most basic and challenging tasks in the administration of an estate, a dispute over the funeral arrangements.
1: The funeral arrangements can sadly prove to be a divisive issue at what is, by definition, already a difficult time. We shall be looking today at those under a duty to arrange the funeral, how the court deals with competing views on the funeral, and the powers of executors
0: in practical terms the corpse will be held either at the funeral directors or possibly at a hospital maybe under the power of the coroner if there are conflicting instructions for example from family members on the funeral then the funeral director may decline to arrange the funeral until either an agreement is reached or someone with the authority to take the decision gives the instructions
1: in general Where there are known personal representatives, they are the ones with the common law duty to arrange for the proper disposal of the body. This includes executors, if named in the will, even prior to grant, and that was confirmed in the case of Dobson and North Tyneside Health Authority back in 1997.
0: Where there is an intestacy, the court has a discretion under section 116 of the Senior Court Act to refuse to make a grant to a person otherwise entitled to it. In the case of Anstey and Mundle, the court considered whether to use that power or its inherent jurisdiction to decide who should be responsible for the burial.
1: In Anstey, the dispute between the relatives was whether the deceased should be buried in Shropshire, as wished by two of his daughters, or in Jamaica, as wished by one of his daughters and his niece. The court found as a fact that both genuinely believed they were respecting the wishes of the deceased there was no valid will and the question for the court was who should take out a limited grant for the purposes of arranging the funeral.
0: Now this reflects an important point which is the court will generally decide who should be responsible for arranging the funeral rather than giving directions for the funeral directly.
1: In the course of his judgment Jonathan Klein sitting as a deputy judge doubted whether section 116 was engaged even though the parties agreed that it was. Section 116 is concerned with passing over those otherwise entitled to a grant, of course. That was not what the court was being asked to do in this case. Here it was being asked to decide who should take a specified limited grant for the purpose of arranging the disposal of the body.
0: The court was satisfied that it had an inherent jurisdiction, whether as a part of its jurisdiction to regulate the administration of estates or otherwise. Which was capable of being exercised so as to determine who should be responsible for the burial.
1: How the court should approach the question of its discretion in such a situation has been considered in a number of cases, some of which were summarised in Anstey. The court started by considering the case of Buchanan and Milton from 1999. This was a decision of Mrs. Justice Hale, as she then was, again looking at displacing a person otherwise entitled to a grant solely for the purposes of dealing with burial.
0: The facts in that case were described as being very unusual. The deceased had been placed for adoption at four years old in Australia, having been born to an Aboriginal mother, and was then placed for adoption with a white family of English emigres. This was part of the policy at the time of trying to assimilate Aboriginal children into white society. When he was five, he and his adopted family travelled to the UK, where he subsequently grew up.
1: In the 1990s, he was contacted by his birth family, ultimately meeting them in the UK and Australia, where there was media attention on the basis that it was part of a generation of children who'd been improperly removed from Aboriginal parents. Tragically, he then died in a road traffic accident in the UK, and a dispute then arose as to how and where he should be buried, with his birth family seeking a return to Queensland, and his adoptive family seeking cremation in the UK.
0: The matter came before the court as a Section 116 application, with the birth family seeking to rely on special circumstances to justify intervention in the order of priority for a grant. In that case, it did not appear to be questioned that Section 116 was an appropriate route for the court to go down. The observations of Mrs Justice Hale, as she then was, are relevant whether under inherent jurisdiction or under Section 116, as they were treated in Anstead.
1: Mrs. Justice Hale considered that the question of special circumstances was inherently fact-dependent. She was prepared to hold that the very unusual circumstances of the case could amount to special circumstances, but in addition, for the purposes of section 116, it also needed to be necessary and expedient. The applicant's arguments that cultural imperatives made it a necessity were not accepted. The law could not establish a hierarchy in which one person's feeling was accorded more respect than another equally deep and sincere feeling.
0: The question of expediency was to be approached in a neutral and structured way to balance the competing interests, in particular the views of both the birth and adoptive family, the interests of the deceased's minor daughter, and the views of the deceased, which included the fact that he did not identify himself as a member of an Aboriginal community. Balancing those factors, the court concluded that it was neither necessary nor expedient for the person otherwise entitled to the grant to be displaced, the practical effect of which was that the deceased's funeral would be in the UK and arranged by his adoptive family.
1: A case with slightly less unusual facts was Hartshorn and Gardner, which came before Sonia Proudman QC. The deceased had died in a road accident, engaged but not married at the time of his death. His parents, who were divorced, were in dispute as to where he should be buried, the town of his parents, as his mother wished, or the town where he had lived, as his father, fiancé and brother wished. The coroner would not release the body without agreement or an order of the court. The court approached this as a question of inherent jurisdiction rather than under section 116.
0: The judge observed that the most important consideration is that the body be disposed of with all proper respect and decency, and if possible, without further delay. Subject to that overriding consideration, there were two types of factors identified as being relevant in the case. Those that did or could be expected to represent the wishes of the deceased, and those views that might reflect the reasonable wishes and requirements of his family and friends. The fact that the deceased had made his life in his hometown of Kington for the eight years prior to his death and the wishes of his father and fiancé outweighed the mother's wishes and her practical difficulties of visiting the grey in a town about 40 miles from where she lived. In those circumstances, the views of the father and his fiancé carried the day, and the coroner was ordered to release the body to the father to arrange the funeral.
1: There are, of course, limits to what the court can do with its jurisdiction. The recent Court of Appeal case of al considered the question of costs arising from an application under Section 116 and the inherent jurisdiction, but the specific issue which gave rise to the costs argument is informative. Between circulation of the draft judgment and handing down a final judgment, a new point was taken in draft grounds of appeal, namely that the deceased had not been domiciled in the UK. The consequence of this argument, if it was correct, was that Rule 22 of the non contentious probate rules, which deals with competing priorities for a grant, would not apply. This was accepted in the final judgment, and so the claim under Section 116 therefore failed.
0: However, the court did find for the claimant under the alternative basis, namely the court's inherent jurisdiction, and there was no appeal from that element of the decision to the Court of Appeal. So whilst the section 116 jurisdiction may be challenged on the basis of domicile, it seems the court retains an inherent jurisdiction in any event, at least where the deceased has passed away in England and Wales. The argument in the Court of Appeal had become one solely about costs arising from the taking of the point late.
1: So far we've been considering the position where the deceased dies intestate and there is no will. As we've already mentioned, where there is an executor named in a will and no dispute over that will, then they have a duty and a power to arrange for the disposal of the body before the grant. Quite often, a will contains the deceased's instructions for the funeral. Those wishes are not legally enforceable as such. That was established as long ago as the Victorian case of Williams and Williams. However, those wishes as expressed can be a relevant consideration as referenced in some of the cases we've just discussed. Those wishes don't need to be formally recorded, although of course it minimises the chance for a dispute as to the deceased's wishes if they are formally recorded. In ANSTI, the view was expressed that the capacity necessary to express burial wishes may be different from the capacity required to make a will.
0: If there is an executor, then the court's power to intervene over the burial appears to be very limited if it exists at all. In the case of University Hospital Lewisham NHS Trust and Hamout, it was said that in circumstances where no dispute at all as to the validity of the will exists, it may be that the executor was always entitled to the final say, although the point had not been previously decided. The court did note the earlier case of re-grandison from 1989, where the point of being left open as to whether the court had the power to override the decision of the executor. Mr Justice Vinot in that case had expressed the view that he would be surprised to find that the court had no power in any circumstances if there was an executor.
1: It seems likely, if this is a matter for an executor's discretion that challenging the exercise of that discretion is only open, if at all, on the usual basis for challenging the exercise of a discretion, namely irrationality or failure to take into account relevant considerations. It is clear from the tone of the judgments in the cases we have considered that the courts do not want to see disputes like this unless genuinely unavoidable.
0: If there is a dispute over the will, and who, if anyone, is entitled to be executor, then the court's inherent jurisdiction is still available, as was the situation in Lewisham and Mamoot. As the issue of who was entitled to be executor could not be resolved in a reasonable period, the hospital, which held the deceased's body, was able to apply to the court and ultimately obtained an order that it could be released to members of the deceased's family, excluding the alleged executor for burial. This illustrates a further point that a party in lawful possession of the body has standing to make an application to court for directions under the inherent jurisdiction as to to whom the body should be released.
1: The law is reasonably clear where there is one executor under an undisputed will, or presumably where there is more than one executor and all executors are in agreement. However, it is possible for the executors to disagree, of course, as to the funeral arrangements which should be conducted. In this situation, the executors can seek the assistance of the court, either through an application under the inherent jurisdiction or under Part 64 of the CPR.
0: James and I have not identified any reported cases which consider this scenario, although I did have a case a couple of years ago which came perilously close to needing to go to court before, fortunately, a resolution was reached. In that case, uh, the funeral director had refused to proceed unless he had written instructions agreed by all of the executors. It was three siblings. It is likely that in a scenario where an application to court was required, similar factors would be considered as under the reported cases on inherent jurisdiction, and a direction could be made that a body be released to a particular party for the purposes of burial, or that a particular executor have authority to give instructions to the undertaker.
1: The final scenario to consider is the situation where no one is prepared to take responsibility for arranging the funeral. This might arise where relatives cannot be traced or are unwilling to take responsibility. As in the Lewisham case, any party lawfully in possession of a body can make an application for permission to dispose of the body, notwithstanding objections or competing claims.
0: And as a final resort. Under Section 46.1 of the Public Health Control of Disease Act 1984, a local authority is under a statutory duty to cause to be cremated or buried any person who has died within its area and for whom no satisfactory arrangements have been, or are being, made for the disposal of the body. This is the statutory basis for what is commonly, if somewhat inaccurately, referred to as a pauper's funeral. In that situation, the family of the deceased have no control over the funeral or the form that it will take, and it will be handled by the local authority. And again, a hospital or an undertaker, which is left with no progress being made, could consider approaching the local authority and asking them to deal with it under their statutory powers.
1: As hopefully we've demonstrated, there are a number of routes by which this sort of dispute will be resolved. The main concern for the court is that matters are dealt with expediently and with respect for the deceased. It will be reluctant to get involved in weighing up differing and genuinely held beliefs, but will try to balance the competing views and interests of the relevant parties.
0: As people's lives move further away from the traditional nuclear family model and reflect the increasingly international lives people lead, the potential for these disputes is not going to go away. The court can resolve these disputes but it really should be viewed as a matter of last resort. For now, from us, it's goodbye.
1: Goodbye.